Welcome to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I highlight the unspoken and unsung heroes who are changing the education game as we know it. Every day, I come across the work of so many incredible educators who simply don't get the recognition they deserve. So on this podcast, we will provide you, the audience, with an opportunity to learn the personal stories of these incredible educators and the specific elements that shape who they are in and out of the classroom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Happy holidays and welcome to a brand new episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfo Mensa, and this is the show for the unsung heroes of education. If this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you to the show and we hope that you enjoy tonight's episode. If you are a returning person tuning in, welcome back. And I also hope that you enjoy tonight's content. So before we introduce our guest for tonight, just want to let people know that really soon there will be some sales going on at that Danny Talk Apparel shop. So make sure you check us out at teesprings.com backslash stores backslash the Identity Talk Apparel shop. We have hoodies, t-shirts, and all kinds of accessories to get your swag up during the holiday season. And then finally, for anybody who's looking to get some professional development credits towards their teacher license, we have the Identity Talk Virtual School, which is available on Teachable. We have our two main courses, Shape the Teach Identity 101 and the SPELL course, which stands for the Self-Publishing Educators Learning Lab. So anybody who is interested in starting a book and learning about the self-publishing process, that is the course for you. And for those who are looking to just develop their practice and learn about anything from culturally responsive teaching practices to how to develop your teach identity to have longevity in the profession, Shape the Teach Identity 101 is that course for you. So make sure you check us out on Teachable and to check us out at Conley.com backslash Identity Talk for Educators to book a call. All right. Now off to the main event. So tonight we're going to be talking about self-care and restorative practices, as well as this idea of mindfulness. So as teachers, we're so mindful of others. We have to think about our students. We have to think about our parents. We have to think about our colleagues. Like we're responsible for occupying our mental space with so many different individuals that we fail to be mindful about ourselves, if that makes any sense. But I have somebody who's going to come on the show who is a certified high school science teacher, but she has now gone on to do some facilitation around mindfulness and self-care and trauma-informed practices. And she is the founder of the Thriving Teacher Project, which is based in New York. 
And without further ado, I want to bring on our guest for tonight, Maria Tan, to just share with us about her journey into mindfulness and some of the great work she's doing through her organization. So let's bring Maria on. Hey, Maria. Hey, Kwame. Thank you for having me on. What is going on? How are we feeling? We're feeling good. We're feeling good. Excited to be here. Also grateful for you and this opportunity. Yes. And I think having you on the show tonight is just perfect timing because when we think about the fact that it's December and we're closing out 2020, this is the time for us to be mindful and to be re reflective about Mm. everything from just our professional practice, but also where we are personally, you know, doing those person, are we doing those personal audits mm -hmm. to kind of see, you know, where we are. So before we get into all that conversation, I do want to give you a chance to just share with us a little bit about yourself and how you got into education. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I actually, earned my first degree in chemistry. And most people don't know that about me, but I have my bachelor's degree in chemistry. And I started working in industry after college and um, I realized it really wasn't resonating with me or, or who I was or who I wanted to be. And I felt like I didn't fit in. Um, and it just, it wasn't fulfilling in any way. So a friend at that time was just finishing up the New York City Teaching Fellows Program and would tell me about it all the time and inspired me to think about teaching again, which is something that I was interested in when I first started college. Um, so I, I started playing around with the idea of teaching and teaching high school and then reflecting on my own education experience and realizing that my whole life, my parents worked extremely hard and sacrificed so many things. My mom had two jobs for most of my life to just be able to send me and my brothers to Catholic school for what what we thought was a good education and and it was a good education and i'm super grateful um, but i became really present and aware of uh how unfair that was right and how i really wanted to to change that that you didn't you didn't have to sacrifice so much or have a lot of money in order to have a good education so i chose to pursue new york city teaching fellows um which i i love that program really grateful for that and yeah, and then I taught in the Bronx for five years. Right, and during your time in the Bronx, what was that experience like? Cause I know you were teaching um, high school science. So I'm assuming it was chemistry that you were teaching all five of those yeah. years? Yeah, I actually taught uh, chemistry, biology and uh, IB biology, which is sort of like AP, like a higher level biology. And I taught all grades nine through 12. There was one year I taught nine, 10, 11, and 12, and was also teaching three different subjects. <laughs> wow. so, so it was a lot, it was a lot, but I also learned a lot. Um, and I, I cultivated a lot of compassion during those years. Right, and for our non-education folks, IB stands for International Baccalaureate, which is a program that is very common in the international circuit. So when you go to a lot of international schools, they have IB programs. Um, and I think in the U.S. it's starting to catch on a little bit more, but it's not something that's that's common yet uh, right, right. in our education circles. So, you know, I just try to educate our non-educator folks who who happen to pop on from time to time. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. No, no. mindful of my use of acronyms. 
But that's education, though. We, I know. Know, we, we live in acronyms. I know. It's a, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real. But so now you're teaching high school science. You're teaching IB chemistry. You're teaching biology. And then there are certain things that are going on within your school at the time that really got you thinking about taking a different path which turned out to be restorative practices and then eventually into mindfulness. So if you could just share with the audience, maybe a particular moment or was there an experience that really ignited you to, you know, get into that journey of mindfulness? Yeah. Um, Oh, thank you for naming it as a journey because it definitely was. And it it started as a personal journey first. I have a colleague who's also a best friend of mine who encouraged me to start doing yoga with her regularly and, you know, to, to cope with the stress of the job and some personal things I was dealing with. And after about a year of like consistent practice, I, I actually for the first time started to notice myself slow down. And I remember I could see myself slowing down walking to work whereas otherwise in the past i had i'd be rushing i'd be trying to multitask just brain like you know so hectic um and i saw myself slow down in the classroom too i saw myself pause before before speaking pause before responding and and i just got really in tune to that and i realized you know i want to explore more meditation and more mindfulness and then i started my own personal practice with that and there was another colleague at my school at the time who was using uh, a sound bell in her class to practice mindfulness, which really inspired me. So her, I, and then my colleague who was getting me into yoga, we all got together and we started to plan out this week-long expedition on mindfulness. So um, at my school, because it's a, it's a pro school, we're able to do like week-long field trips. So the theme of ours was wellness mindfulness and yoga. And we took students to different yoga studios. We took them to mindfulness studios. Uh, they went to a sound bath one year. And there was just so much positive feedback from the students that it's. I realized it was something that I wanted to do on a more consistent basis. So I went and I took a few courses at mindful schools. And then I just chose to do it one year. And, and I remember um, before that school year started, like in September, I was nervous because it was something new for me. So I put a slide deck in my PowerPoint that said mindful minute. And it had this little circle that would expand and it would say inhale and then it would contract and say exhale. Oh, wow. Myself, if I put it in the slide, I'm definitely going to do it. So I did it that first day and then I practiced mindfulness with my students every single class, every single day without fail, unless I was absent, of course. Um, and it, it's something that they really benefited from. And, and I, there's so many anecdotes that I could tell you and share with you, but I really saw the impact it was having on students and their ability to control their own emotions, to actually be in touch with their emotions and to control their own ways of reactivity. And it's, it's just something that's really transformed my teaching. And when I started to access that level of education, I like to say that's when I actually felt like I was a teacher 
Like I truly felt like an educator when I started to really connect with students on that level. So I started to branch out too. And um, I went and I got trained in restorative circles and then brought those practices back to my school. Um, and I was also part of the equity team at my school. So it, it kind of started there and it just organically like helped me branch out. Right. So when you started your mindfulness journey and then you started to branch into restorative practices and you brought it back to your school, what was the initial reception uh, from your administration when you started to bring these practices, you know, into the building? Yeah. Yeah. With mindfulness, um, you know, there was a positive response. People were like, that's cool. Do your thing. And then with the restorative practices, I actually like requested that my principal come with me and train with me because it was something that we were doing at our school, but no one was trained in it and we weren't training the teachers in it. It was more so like, okay, here's an email and go try this thing. So I just saw that there was a disconnect there and then there was an opportunity that came up uh, to train for it. So yeah, I, I basically just had my principal come with me. So she was on board with bringing it back to our school and, and helping train the staff in those practices. No, and that's wonderful because that's not always the reception that you'll get from your school leaders. You know, there are some that will tell others, okay, I need you to go to this training on restorative practices. At least that was the case in my situation. But then they themselves aren't going to those trainings with you. Right, right. And and then you find yourself frustrated because you're in these workshops trying to learn about these different practices and you see principals from other schools with their staff learning together and then you just start to wish that that was your situation. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that my administration was usually really supportive of ideas that I had and, you know, willing to engage and, and just really open. So I am really grateful for that. Um, but I, I definitely do feel that tension also of, of just kind of like, um, you know, the expectation versus like what's actually happening behind the scenes. So yeah, I understand what you mean. Right. And I want to stay on that for a second, because as we've already mentioned, not every school or staff is going to be open arms about this idea of mindfulness or restorative practices. So I want to know from you, what are some measures that schools and educators can take to center these practices in their daily operation and to eventually get them to buy in and invest in this? Mm, yeah, really good question. Um, yeah, and my view on that is it, it always has to start with you. And it has to be something that you truly embody and, and others can actually see that you embody that. Because I think if you're trying to bring something to your school that you haven't tried yourself, um, you know, there's really, there's really no backing to it. And I, I think people can see that right away. Um, but yeah, like starting, starting with yourself and where I, I came from a school where these practices weren't, weren't centered and, you know, I acknowledge that there was some effort to to bring it onto the scene and to introduce people to it. And it really became like a hot topic at the end of the 2019-2020 school year, you know, with COVID. Um, but like the once a year PDs are not enough. 
Um, and sometimes I think schools feel like that's sufficient to talk about it once and then like, okay, you're good, go and do these things. But it really has to be a practice. Um, so I would recommend like if you're at a school and this is something that you want to start to team up with teachers who are also interested in this, who are also committed to bringing these practices to your school and, and create, you know, find solidarity in that. And then together as a group, really do your research, you know, um, know what you're talking about and then advocate for it, advocate for it to your, uh, to your administration and to the rest of your colleagues to really, to really have that backing behind you. And if your school doesn't offer a training, like go get trained, go get trained and actually come back and, and have the skill set. Um, and also, you know, when you're doing these trainings, when you're doing this work, especially trauma informed work, to look at that trauma through the lens of yourself as well. And to really have that work be personal for you um, and to investigate like how trauma shows up in you. How are you relating to situations? How are you responding or reacting to people? You know, really embody that work within yourself as much as you can too. And when you, when you actually have that authentic way of approaching it, you can really connect with your students and with your staff on a real level about it. No, and all that is, is very true. So you mentioned that schools and educators should research these practices. So are there any books or are there any programs that you could recommend outside of, of course, Thriving Teacher Project, which we're going to talk about very shortly, but what were some of the go-to resources that you looked at as you were going through your journey in the beginning? Yeah, um, I highly recommend Morningside Center. That's where I had my restorative justice training, um, and they're affiliated with Columbia. There's also Joy, which is restorative justice for Oakland youth. That's out in California. Um, but they do have like online offerings and one book, two books that I would say were really helpful in me researching that would be um, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond and Mindful of Race by Ruth King. Um, and really like if you're going to go outside of your school and find these communities, it's really important to find communities that resonate with you so that when you're doing the work, it's again, like true and authentic for you. No, absolutely. Because when we go into these different schools, we're in these communities and we are responsible for understanding what's transpiring in these communities because that's the trauma that a lot of our students bring into the school. And that doesn't mean that you have to do a home visit every day, but you have to find a way to get yourself in tune to what's going on. So I could totally yeah. resonate with that part. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only just um, recognizing the signs of trauma, but also like understanding how it develops in the brain, where it comes from. It comes from our, our childhood and understanding that everyone has trauma. You know, it's not just your kids are traumatized, your students are traumatized, like you're carrying around trauma too. I think that's really important to acknowledge. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, and I think when you think about this concept of therapy, 
Um, it's something that is not really popular in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I also feel like it's something that we need to bring into our schools. So when you look at the way budgets are set up and the money's allocated, um, we, we have to find a way to, to get more therapists and more social workers, you know, into our school districts, because it just doesn't make sense for them to be always among the first that are cut when layoffs happen. So I think it's something that we have to change. Right, right. And that idea that um, you said about therapy, recently, I've been um, talking with my mentor, and he was describing how, you know, therapy is, one, you have to find a therapist that you resonate with, Two, it's really expensive. Um, three, then you have to have like five sessions until you're comfortable enough to really to really speak to your therapist. So in um, what's becoming more popular, or what he believes is gonna be more popular is uh, the setting of group therapy and actually restorative circles as a form of group therapy and as a form of healing, which I think is really promising. Right. And when we look at what's going on with COVID-19, you have a lot of people now, there's been an uptick, you know, with therapy sessions. A lot of people now are getting therapy, you know, and a large sector of those people are folks who are reluctant to get it pre-COVID. So it's, it's amazing how, you know, these unprecedented times has led to folks coming to the realization that, all right, I need to get this mind work together. I need to start addressing some of these um, inner demons, you mm-hmm. know, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I think is a is honestly a plus side of everything that's happened this year. No, uh, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people doing that inner work. Yeah, and, and you know, myself included. Like, I'm in the process of trying to find a therapist for myself because... And I'm realizing now that, oh, I, I need it. And especially, you know, as a father, you know, you start to realize how some of your own kind of inner demons and some of the things that you've left unaddressed all these years start to manifest itself in mm-hmm. different parts of your own life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so no, that's something that, you know, we all should you know, really consider, uh, especially now. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I think that helps to sort of like destigmatize the the mental health in, in the community. Oh, no, um, absolutely. I've seen a lot of, a lot of my friends, you know, have therapists now. So, I mean, I know this is something that's a growing trend, um, not just within our community, but in other communities as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about the Thriving Teacher Project. So it's still very new, but you've all, but you've already done so much with it, you know, in this short period of time. So I want to give you a chance to just share with, to the audience what ultimately inspired you to start, you know, this project and what's the overarching mission of it? Yeah, so it actually started as a mindfulness initiative at my school, um, which was inspired by an event. Uh, So you can picture 
first lockdown, April 2020, um, the peak of COVID. Things are really, really wild for the world and for schools. And, you know, as teachers, we had to completely turn around our curriculum in like six days to create everything to be online. And it was just a lot. Um, and one of my really good friends and colleagues actually, she had a panic attack on a Zoom meeting for the first time and just froze, you know, could, couldn't conduct the meeting. And she told me about it and I said like, you know, what, what supports do you have? And I realized that there really was no support for teachers during this time. And it was, it was more so like, everything is urgent. You have to get this done. We need this by here. And just, it was a lot of pressure. So, so I offered for her, you know, we can start doing mindfulness sessions together just over zoom. And I started doing them twice a week and other staff members came and I did that until the end of the year. And I started doing mindfulness, um, on our school's Instagram with students, I would do I would go Instagram live every day <laughs> with my students, and and I just realized that there was a real need to support teachers and students emotionally, especially going into our next school year. So I started to advocate to my administration that we make mindfulness a wider school initiative, and we start to really um, allocate our energy and resources towards SEL and trauma informed practices. And like I said, my administration is really supportive and I had a lot of, I had a lot of yes, buts. So, so yes, we need you to do this. Yes, it's really important, but there's no time in the schedule or but there's no funding for this. So eventually I just hit so many roadblocks uh, that I chose to take my momentum and then just create this project outside of my school, which I'm grateful that I did because now I'm reaching educators across the country and the overarching mission of the project is to create healing spaces for educators. And when I see when I say healing spaces, when I started to really think about what that meant, um, it's really simple, actually, which is just allowing teachers to be heard, to be seen and to be in community and to really just bear witness to each other. And and in doing that process, our experiences learn self-care build community, connect with each other to ultimately thrive in the challenging times that we find ourselves in. No, oh, um, and that's all, that's just great, man. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how sometimes the, the greatest ideas come when we're in these moments of adversity. Like they just, they just manifest themselves that way. And look at how it's starting to blossom, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us some of the different services that the Thriving Teacher Project provides um, currently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, currently, the format is each month we're offering what I'm calling master classes. And these master classes feature an expert in the field of mindfulness, heartfulness, emotional intelligence, uh, trauma informed practices. Um, anti-racist, anti-bias practices, joy. We have an expert on joy coming on to our to our master classes, and this is really for people to um, connect with someone in in one of those fields and to learn tools for self-care and tools to sustain sustain themselves. And then after the master class, we have two follow-up community support groups where it's hosted by teachers for teachers, and the format is a restorative circle. 
And that's where teachers get to connect and share with each other. Um, and, and I think that's really the heart of the project too, is just having educators connect and, and be able to, again, be heard, be seen, process their experiences. Right. And I'm starting to see that it's having an impact on teachers. I just flashed a comment from Jamie and I'll flash it again. So yeah, I couldn't it. read it. It was really long. <laughs> yeah. So it says the Thriving Teacher Project is a must for all teachers. It's rejuvenating, re-energizing and inspiring. It has made this year more sustainable and beneficial to me and my students. So the impact is already starting to show, you know, in different educators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jamie's actually one of my former colleagues and she she did the restorative justice training with me and, and we're uh, really tight. So I appreciate you being here, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great to have friends like that. You know, who are going to support you for sure. Mm -hmm. So as you were describing the master classes, you're talking about anti-racist and anti-bias practices. And when I think about, you know, mindfulness, you can't help but intersect mindfulness with cultural responsive teaching and anti-bias, anti-racist practices. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear your thoughts on the role that mindfulness plays in helping schools build their capacity and culturally responsive and anti-bias, anti-racist practices? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that mindfulness isn't a solution, but rather a tool and a tool to be able to engage in more difficult conversations, to engage in the exploration of these topics um, and, and really to to build your own like sustainability in relation to these things. Um, and you can only really truly tackle or, or transform these oppressive systems when you have an awareness of what's going on. And not just an awareness, like you know that it's there, but you actually understand your own relation to it as well. And you're mindful of that, or maybe you're aware of your lack of relation to it. So like your numbness to it. Um, it's so important to name and, and, and it supports you in slowing down. And, and this can then extend to your relationships with your students. It can extend to your relationships with your staff and how you're interacting with them and really create the conditions for, for that coherence between, between you and your environment. And then, and then you're able to really actually, you know, have an impact and it can sustain you also to so that it doesn't feel like such an uphill battle right so a journey towards somewhere so i think a lot of times uh it's really easy to burn out when you're when you're fighting for these things right and i think that's just the nature of trauma and when we think about just the anti-racist part you know, you think about just communities of color, particularly, you know, Black and Latinx communities, you know, they are born into trauma. When you think about just the history, you know, of, of the people and and what they've had to transpire and, and what we still have to, you know, overcome as a result. So the trauma comes in different layers mm -hmm. as you progress through life. And then we find ourselves trying to develop these compensatory strategies to deal with the mm -hmm. trauma, but in the process, they end up being counterproductive. 
you know, that makes sense. Yeah. I think even saying like deal with the trauma kind of kind of speaks to that. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I gotta deal with this, I gotta fix this. But really it's like, how can we actually just like look at it? How can we how can we hold the trauma, you know, and learn from it and like slowly release it? I think mindfulness really beautifully supports that. Right. And I think and I wanna hear from you on this. Do you believe that it's a struggle for educators in general to practice mindfulness because we're already overburdened with so many responsibilities and we're trying to make sure that everybody else is okay at the expense of our own health? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, I've talked to so many educators about this specific, specific question and it's like, I, a lot of what I hear is like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even have time to start, you know? So it really, it really takes a commitment. And I think if you're gonna um, engage in this to really look at your why and, you know, are you doing this from a place of, I wanna practice mindfulness so I can use it for my students so that they're more quiet? <laughs> or are you practicing mindfulness to have that sort of level of self-transformation? Because also these, these things like mindfulness, trauma-informed practices, social emotional uh, learning and tools, if they're not used with integrity, they can actually do more harm than they can help. Right. And I think that's part of the problem because a lot of, not a lot of teachers, but there are some teachers out there who look at these different practices and they view them as prescriptions as opposed to subscriptions if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like they think, okay, this is gonna be a quick fix. Mm -hmm. Give me the tools and that's going to get my children to be quiet. That's gonna get my children to start listening to me. Yeah. Uh, during virtual learning, that's going to be the remedy to all my problems, but it's an investment. It's, a, it's an emotional investment. It's a mental investment. It's a psychological investment. And I think that's what gets lost um, in the process. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking of like, what popped in my mind is like tiers of intervention. Like if you look at sort of like the SEL, um, you know, standards, if you will, there's like tiers of intervention, which right. sound really prescriptive. Um, but I, I was talking about this with with my colleague, Jamie, actually, is that the SEL isn't something that you can just like tag on to the beginning of class, or the beginning of a meeting. You know, it's again something that needs to be embodied. It's like, how are you? How are you listening to people? How are you showing up? How are you talking to your students? Um, for me, like mindfulness. When I was a teacher, I had so much. I had so much advice of like, don't smile until Christmas and right. have a poker face and all these things. And and I used to say things like, my student would come late, and I would say, you know, you're late. <laughs> and then after practicing mindfulness, it changed to like, hey, where have you been? Like, you know, coming from an actual place of concern. Yeah. And I, mean, I heard this too. And it was usually coming from the more veteran teachers who have been there and they're kind of just stuck on their ways, not willing to be open to uh, different approaches. So I could definitely tell you a whole bunch of stories on on that alone yeah i think teachers have the best stories no no we do <laughs>
And unless you are in the trenches, it's going to be hard for you to believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> like, like you really can't make some of these things up. You really yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So you are in New York. And, you know, as you're talking, I, I know that there is a whole lot going on in New York. Just, I mean, if you haven't been following the news, I mean, you just, you just have, I mean, you'll probably be unaware of what's happening, but it's just been a lot of tuggling, right? Between going back to school and then doing remote learning and going back, just this flip-flopping that's been taking place all year long. And it's, and it's just perpetuated the trauma that's already been accumulating as a result of COVID-19. So I know you you mentioned that, you know, you've been able to work with, you know, some of the teachers within your city, but I'm thinking about even like your colleagues, because I know you're not, you're not in the classroom right now, are you? No. And I also wanted to just put out there that I left New York in August. So I'm not there currently, but I was there uh, for most of 2020. Oh, wow. So, so what have you been hearing about that? Because I know, you know, Mayor de Blasio is, has put out some statements about just remote learning and how things are going to be going moving forward with New York City schools. So it's, I know it's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in communication with a lot of my colleagues that are in New York and it's just, it's just really unpredictable and really stressful. Yeah. So how do you see 2021 and beyond going? Because we don't know what's going to happen from this point on. I mean, wearing of the mask, you know, this new normal, how long is this going to last? And what kind of impact is it going to continue to have on our education system in general? Hmm. I feel like you asked me an unanswerable question. <laughs> <laughs> how long is it going to last? Ooh, I don't know. Right. Hopefully, you know, not too long. But in terms of impact on, on the education system, I really hope this is a turning point. No. This is a turning point to let go of things that really have not been working for, for decades. And, and to really make some change. And, and going back to, to like your previous question about, you know, how can mindfulness support um, our anti-racist, anti-bias practices? I think what I'm really realizing is that the actual practice of mindfulness for mm -hmm. students, you know, I know I talked a lot about mindfulness for staff and for adults, but for students, if I can teach a student how to regulate their breathing, how to regulate their nervous system, how to pause and then respond. Ultimately, I think that's the most equitable thing I could teach them. Right. And then to add on to your list, how can we get them to self-advocate? Right, right. Exactly. Because there's going to come a time where, you know, Ms. Tan's not going to be there or whoever the teacher is, they're not going to be there to provide those prompts and those reminders to do that. So mm -hmm. how do we get our students to, to self-actualize and to self-advocate for themselves in a way that's going to benefit them, not just in the classroom, but even beyond that, because this is a skill that you need in life. Right. 
Right. Yeah. So how do we how do we get there? That's that's something that we, we have to work on, uh, you know, with our students. Yeah. Yeah. I think continuing to to do the good work, to make communities and connections around the good work and to really just keep advocating for it and living it too, embodying it and living it. So important. Yes, very much so. And in the midst of all that, we have to have joy. We have to find joy somewhere in our experience because there are a lot of things we can be depressed about. Um, and if we don't find the joy in even the littlest of, of experiences, it's gonna be hard. And it's something that's still hard for me as an adult. So I can't imagine how it is for students right now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why uh, at the for the Thriving Teacher Project, this is like a shameless plug, I guess. <laughs> but our last oh, plug away, plug away. This is what it's about. <laughs> our last masterclass is going to be about centering joy uh, with Justice Lopez. Oh, so, yeah. He's gonna he's gonna come. He's gonna come with Ryan Parker, who I know was a guest on on your podcast um, yep. last month. I think they're gonna talk about joy, play some music, and and it, you're right, it's so, so important to, to just get back in our bodies and feel that joy. Actually, before I hopped on this podcast, uh, my older brother came and he was asking me like, are you nervous? And I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> He's like, all right, we gotta dance. And we just, we put on a song and we danced <laughs> right before this podcast. So it really makes a difference. I um, shout out to your brother for easing your nerves. And then another shout out to Justice and, and Ryan Parker who are doing great work with Project Hathivism. Um, If you're not aware of that, please make sure you check them out because they're both awesome. So I know that that masterclass is going to be phenomenal. All right, so staying on the topic of joy, let's go into the lightning round. All right, I'm ready. Yeah, lightning round. So let's dig deeper and get to know a little bit more about you, Maria. So my first question that I'm asking everybody is, what is your favorite self-care activity during these unprecedented times? Uh, honestly, I've really found a love for being alone and, and just, yeah, spending time with myself, listening to myself, listening to my needs and, and slowing down. So that could look like listening to music, um, some contemplative practices like meditation or journaling or uh, reading or just kind of doing nothing, to be honest. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with doing nothing. Nothing brings joy too, because we already do too much as teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know uh, not too long ago, you just mentioned music, you know, dancing with your brother. So I also want to know what's in your, What's on your playlist these days? What what kind of songs do you have, you know, on your playlist? You know, your Spotify or wherever you listen. Hmm. So I was listening to the song Happy Vism on repeat for a really long time. <laughs> so definitely that. Um, my favorite artist right now who I've also been listening on repeat. Um, you can find her on on uh, Spotify. Her name is the Sundrop Garden, and it's just very melodic, uh, a little bit of soul and R&B, and it, it's also very ethereal. Um, yeah, I, I love her music, and she's from the Philippines, so 
and inspires me that one day I can be a famous musician like her. <laughs> My alternate career. Uh, there you go. For the culture, right? For the culture. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's what's up. And can you say her name again? Yeah, you can search The Sundrop Garden. The Sundrop Garden, all right. All right, I'm gonna definitely take a listen. I'm always looking for new music, so I'll, I'll add her to the playlist. Yes. All right. Three people that you can invite to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be? Hmm. I know. It's a good question. Um, the Buddha. Mm -hmm. Jesus. I grew up Catholic and I learned a lot about Jesus. So I, I would love to meet him. Um, <laughs> my, my colleagues are gonna laugh at this one, but this is so serious when I say it. Jaden Smith. Wow. Jaden Smith's son, and here's why, okay? Not only am I a fan of his music, but I also would love to talk about him and his um, humanitarian efforts. I actually wrote a whole unit on uh, in my biology class about him and what he does with water and what he did with Flint, Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was our unit about sustainability in the earth. So I would love to pick his brain about what he's up to and you know all that good stuff. <laughs> no, um, but Jaden Smith. I mean, I don't really listen to his music. Um, I listen to his dad's music. You know, back when he was a Fresh Prince, right? I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself, <laughs> but I do respect his humanitarian efforts. He's done a lot with the water company, mm -hmm. um, and then just helping out with the Flint water situation, which is still in, which is still in dire need of help, right? You know, even, right. even to this day, yeah, um, it's, it's just crazy. All right, a uh, one book that you are reading right now, if you're reading a book. Well, I have this book that I'm, <laughs> I'm still working through it, but um, you're, you're a really good storyteller. I appreciate it. Oh, thank uh, you. But another book that I would really recommend to educators is Mindful of Race by Ruth King. Uh, not only is it, it goes into, you know, systemic oppression, racial injustice, but it also embeds mindfulness how to use mindfulness as a tool. And it has practices at the end of each chapter. So like really powerful questions. Um, if you're at your school and you wanna facilitate racial affinity groups, there's some really awesome practices in there that I highly recommend. All right. Mindful of Race by Ruth King. Yes. All right. I'm checking that out too. In my ever growing book list, still growing. <laughs> All right. One more question before we wrap things up. Three words to describe your 2020. Mm, solitary. Okay. Transformative. All right. And healing. All right. Powerful. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, and I'll throw a bonus question. Okay. Three words that will describe your 2021. Ooh, empowering, enlivening, and 
full of love. Guess that's not really three words. <laughs> it's all right. We'll, all right, we'll we'll scaffold that, right? We're teachers, Thank right? <laughs> we'll, we'll bend the rules a little bit for you. That's that's all good. All right, but Maria, uh, this has just been an incredible conversation. I thank you for coming on to Today Talk Educators Live, and we definitely need to keep this conversation going. Uh, but before you go, if you could just share with the audience your social media information, so we can continue to support you, yes. and to keep track with a lot of thriving teacher project work you're all doing. Yeah, is there somewhere I can post the link or do I just... Uh... So what you can do is you can tell me, if you tell me, I can actually go ahead and put it in the comments. Okay. Yeah. So on uh, Instagram, it's just the Thriving Teacher Project. Also on Facebook, the Thriving Teacher Project. And we have an event right page. All right, so, so make sure you follow Maria on IG, Driving Teacher Project, and I'll flash it on there for folks to see. There you go. So that is the IG handle, and then you can type that same handle here on Facebook. And let's continue to support. Uh, they're doing some great work, and I'm excited to see what 2021 has in store uh, for them. So, yeah, so Maria, thank you again for coming on. And if we don't get a chance to connect, I'm wishing you a happy 2020 and happy 2021. Thank you, Kwame. Likewise, you know, sending energy to you and your family. And thank you. So much for having me on here. This is an awesome opportunity, and I look forward to continuing to connect. Yes, thank you. And you have a good night. You too. All right. All right, people. I want to thank you all again for coming on to I Didn't Talk for Educators Live. This has been another great show. And for those who are new, once again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and all streaming platforms. We are all over. So until next time, I wish you all a good morning, good night, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace and blessings. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram with the handle at Identity Talk for Educators Live. And that's a numeral four in the middle. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. We're always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard tonight, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at www.identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you and have a great day.